0: You're listening to Reframe Your Life, a podcast for women who want to reclaim a vibrant and healthy spirituality. I'm your host and co-traveller, Sandy Reynolds, and this is episode 87. Hi, welcome. If you listened to the last episode, you know that I got into the topic of desires, and I was really curious about this idea of of following our desires and how learning to tune into them can really help us to understand what we want in our lives. I didn't get too far into it when I started to think that this was a much bigger conversation. And although our desires are important in leading us and guiding us into the things that we want in our life it also is a part of a bigger conversation that is the discussion around discernment and spiritual discernment and decision-making. So I started to do a little bit of exploring into the topic of spiritual discernment and decision-making thinking that I would record an episode but to be absolutely honest with you I sometimes miss having a co-host and having someone to talk through these conversations with so I went on Amazon and I did a search of books on the topic of spiritual discernment and I found one written by today's guest And I looked at it and then I looked at her website and did a little bit of reading about her. And I just had this sense that she was the right person for me to have this conversation with today. So I emailed her and I was thrilled as I am always thrilled when people agree to be part of the conversation on Reframe Your Life, and she agreed to jump on pretty quickly with me and record this week's episode. Let me tell you a little bit about her. Her name is Nancy Bieber, and she is the author of Decision Making and Spiritual Discernment, The Sacred Art of Finding Your Way. She is a spiritual director, a psychologist, a retreat leader, and teacher. She writes out of her many years experience of working with people, offering insights, exercises, and guidance. She has served on the teaching staff of Oasis Ministries for Spiritual Development for 21 years and developed their program, Contemplative Living in Daily Life. Nancy is an active member of the Religious Society of Friends, also known as Quakers. She has led retreats and workshops on spiritual discernment and deepening our spiritual lives for groups in the United States, as well as in New Zealand and England. With her husband, Larry, Nancy loves to hike and explore the world from Bhutan and Australia to Peru And so many other destinations. When she's at home in rural Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, she is a passionate gardener, growing vegetables, fruits, and as many flowers as she can fit into her space. A recent focus of hers has been the spiritual practice of letting go. This is a practice of letting go or holding lightly to parts of our lives, whether they may be material objects or stages of lives or ways of thinking and acting. In the past year, I've got to know some of the Quaker uh, members in my community. I was part of a peace think tank here that meets monthly. And there was one thing that I noticed about Quakers is that they have really understood this whole area of discernment. If you've ever read Parker Palmer or been exposed to any of their practices, you'll know that as soon as I saw Nancy was part of the Quaker tradition, I immediately knew that she would have a good grounding in the whole area of spiritual discernment. So let's get to this interview. Nancy Bieber, it's exciting to have you on the call. And of course, I'm sure you get Lots of references to your last name. When I mentioned to someone that I was having you on, they are like, oh, you're having the Bieber on your call.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You are so right. The most frequent places where people actually look at your name, um, going through passport checks, and they will say, oh, are you related to Justin? And we will say... Uh, he's our grandchild, but we're really kind of concerned about him, and then they look and do a double take, and we (laughs) laugh and say, no, 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 we're just kidding. No No relation. Okay, for a second, I
0: was thinking, is he really? He is Canadian, though, so I thought... I know he is. (laughs) That's so funny. Anyway, yeah, I don't... That's the only other time I've heard this last name, so... um... I had to make a comment on it (laughs) so I'm really interested in this topic of discernment I think it's um, something that I spend a lot of time in spiritual direction with my spiritual director talking about and thinking through uh, transitions and decisions in my own life and as I mentioned to you I did a podcast a couple weeks ago on the topic about desires and consolation and desolation and i knew right away that i needed to go and follow that up with discernment so i was so thrilled to find your book and to find you so thank you for joining me i'm glad to be on yes so there is a lot to talk about, but I wanted to start with just asking you about your own spiritual journeys. Was there a time in your spiritual journey that you would look back and say that it was a time where you had to do some real um, reframing of your beliefs or of your um, spiritual thinking in your life?
1: I think there'd be several places. Um, I grew up in a in a church that was rural and pretty um, conservative. And I knew that that didn't fit me when I came to adulthood. Uh, but there was a time of of searching. So young adulthood, um, time of searching, and then finding my home uh, in the Quaker tradition, the religious Society of Friends felt really like a, well, it felt like a homecoming. Mm. And I came to that when I had uh, young children, and my husband and I said, well, we can't really uh, go to a traditional church where we aren't quite sure about what our children will be receiving and whether we agree with it. Among friends, I found that I could uh, regrow, reframe my relationship with uh, the spirit, with the, the greater, the mystery, mm-hmm. and I could do that and be accepted and loved along my journey. So that's one that I want to say was a major reframing and the other one was more a a professional shift, I think. I was a psychologist, I am a psychologist, and I was beginning to feel some 20 years ago that this wasn't really it. I didn't know exactly what I was being nudged towards, but it, I started to go to retreats, spiritual retreats, and do some real seeking and reading books that had to do with developing myself, um, my spiritual journey. And so I went to a retreat that was on writing your spiritual biography, or autobiography, I should say. And it was about four days long, and somewhere around the third day, I said, Nancy, there is something else. And the word that came to me was minister. Mm. And the It wasn't so much as this is what you're supposed to be, but this is what you are, and you've forgotten it. Now, the word minister in the tradition of um, the Religious Society of Friends, in my part, they do not have ministers as far as paid clergy people. What I was called to, therefore, was something that I needed to find what it meant it rang true, and it has reframed my um, my way of being in the world, my work. I trained then as a spiritual director, although I continued doing psychology for a number of years, and I started to teach spiritual formation. I began to teach a class that helped people become spiritual directors, which. Mm. I considered my work now, and, and then eventually I wrote a book, Leading Retreats. So I've weaved a kind of ministry that I think is a true calling for me, but it did reframe not my belief system as much as how am I to be in the world, and what is mine to do? So those are two mm-hmm. examples well, those are great
0: examples, and I I think that in both of them, but especially in the second uh, example of changing your career, you probably had the opportunity to put into practice a lot of the things that you write about in your own in your own life. The the whole discerning, and um, I think that's uh, a great. The great place to start. So was it after that that you wrote your book or? It was after. It was yeah. about 10,
1: 10 years after okay. that. Okay. I was contacted and I was already writing. I, I mean, sorry. I was already uh, leading retreats on the theme of spiritual discernment and finding your way. And that's why the publisher contacted me and asked me to write a book on this subject. Mm. So I think the reason I began leading retreats on this subject is it was coming out of my own life experience. So many things I want to talk about with discernment and decision making,
0: but I think that retreats are probably an important part for people because as I've been reading through your book and thinking about some of the decisions that I'm trying to work through in my own life, I realize how hard it is to do this in your daily life. You know, the idea of going on a retreat right now is very appealing to me because (laughs) it's hard to carve out that kind of space to sit and reflect and to think without
1: all of the pulls of your life. Absolutely. I strongly recommend people to step back from daily life, which is really what a retreat is. And even if it is simply a matter of getting refilled and renewed to re-enter daily life it's good but when a person's at a time of making decisions or feeling that kind of turmoil that says there's something else that I'm called to that I'm needing there's a shift that's coming um, then stepping back from daily life and allowing space for them, some clarity to rise. In daily life, we don't have an awful lot of space often. Are you still leading retreats? I am. Um, I have lead retreats, particularly when particular groups ask me to come. Okay. And lead a, lead a uh, weekend retreat, perhaps for churches or for retreat centers. My most recent one happened to be in England. At a Quaker retreat center there and the theme was um, living awake to the spirit in daily life
0: and I will put some uh, information in the show notes on how people can get in touch with you if they'd like to talk about arranging a retreat because I think that um, I'm sure that some of my listeners will be interested in that so let's just get into the book I, I mentioned to you before we started the call that I usually order an ebook and then I read through it and if I really like it I order a hard copy so I've already ordered a hard copy of your book because <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> I just find it easier to refer back to a hard copy and uh, I like that marking it up and uh, putting some flags in it to refer back to but your book is called Decision Making and Spiritual Discernment so for me as soon as I saw the title I I had the question is there a difference between decision making
1: and spiritual discernment? That's a really good question. I must confess that I like the term spiritual discernment um, better. However, uh, decision making is one is is a word a phrase that is more likely to attract people who might not know what they're looking for or might not know what this thing of spiritual discernment is. So I was encouraged, actually, to put <laughs> both of them in the title. Now, what is what is the difference? We make decisions all the time. We make decisions about small things like what to wear in the morning or big ones like what school to go to, what um, what to do, you know. Mm-hmm. Who to get married to, and and the added part of spiritual discernment and says that it is it allows us to um, call on more than simply ourselves in making our decision. Some people would call that um, God. Some people would call it uh, deep inner wisdom. Um, the Quakers would talk about allowing something to be illuminated by um, the divine light but there's some sense that there is something more that we can we can pull out in our making decisions now I also think of spiritual discernment as a process and it's It's uh, not something that we can say, oh, we're finished with it now. We've made our decision because then it needs to be lived out. If we have selected a path, then how we walk on that path is as important sometimes as the path that's elected. And so spiritual discernment, or as some people talk about it, as spirit-guided decision-making affects us every day. Mm-hmm. So, I'm not sure if that's helpful, but I do see it as pretty important that the uh, decision-making is, in some ways, surrounded by the larger world of spiritual discernment. Mm-hmm. I
0: really like that spirit-guided
1: decision-making. I think it's it kind of pulls
0: both of the those terms together quite and mm-hmm. defines it really well. So... I want to unpack a little bit and there's in your book, you have the three areas and I love the metaphor that you use of uh, braiding uh, and, mm-hmm. and um, the idea that we need all three of these strands in our discernment or decision-making. And so I thought it'd be great to just kind of go through them a little bit. And in your book, I love how you have all of the um, activities at the end of each section to really help people go deeper and to reflect and process on what you're talking about in the chapter Mm -hmm. the three areas are willingness attentiveness and responsiveness i'm thinking that responsiveness will circle back to this idea of how we walk on this path after we make a decision is Mm -hmm. yes so okay so we'll come back to that because um i wanted to to talk about that because i think that's really important so so can you just elaborate a little bit on each of these areas?
1: So why don't we start with willingness? Sure. Um, willingness is the acknowledgement that there is something more that can help us find the the truest um, path, the truest decision, the truest direction that we're going to travel. Mm-hmm. And... And in saying willing, we are willing, in some ways I see it as saying, yes, I am open. Yes, I am going to embrace the path. Even if the decision might be a no, there is still a yes in it. And I think that sometimes our willingness is also a Cry of help! I'm stuck. I need some. I need something more than me to, to help me see clearly. So the willingness is an acknowledgement of that need for something more. So is it? Yeah, um, I like the idea
0: that it's an acknowledgement. Is it? Is it a posture that you take? Is it just a? Um, it, it seems like. You know, it's this idea of being open, and mm-hmm. um, but I imagine it's not as simple as
1: that sounds. It, it would be nice if it were that simple. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think the word posture is a good thing to bring out because in some of the exercises that I have after the chapters about willingness, they are postures, uh, body postures of openness. Uh, body postures of expressing a yes, sometimes even body postures of saying, help, I need more. One of the chapters in willingness is dealing with our fears, because often in discernment, we are called to look at what we're afraid of. Mm -hmm. And I think we can be afraid simply of of saying yes we can be afraid of change we can be afraid of the idea that uh, we may not be able to to find the right answer Um, we can be afraid because of ways that our lives have treated us and make it hard to be open places where we've been hurt and so we wind up being guarded Uh, so i think Looking at fears is part of being willing. And beyond looking at the fears, saying, yes, this is real, but, you know, when you look at it, it does sometimes take away some of the power of the fear.
0: Yeah, when I read that section on fear, it it really hit me because I thought you can be so open and I've seen this in my own life in the past where I want to be willing, but I also want to hold back a little bit because if the decision or the direction is um, too much of a stretch or I'm not quite ready for it, then a lot of the fears just... um, can hold
1: me from actually moving forward. Right, yes. And sometimes the fear is, is simply that we're stuck. And as I say later on in the, in the book when I'm talking about attentiveness, is that having one step, just, just light enough for one step, can be a way of um, handling our fears. It's the overwhelmingness that makes us afraid. Mm-hmm. But just what's one tiny place that we can look at it and say, well, I could make this phone call or I could do this much. Yeah,
0: I like that idea. I, I think that the, um, the fear, I, I was wondering if in, within the fear, if there are fears that you find are really common to women.
1: Um, that's an interesting question. I'd say in my work with women, both as a psychologist and a spiritual director, um, they a fear may be of being too forward, outspoken, um, claiming mm. <laughs> claiming their authentic self that may have strong opinions and ways of being and And I think sometimes women are afraid of that mm-hmm. and And I'd say that's a cultural way of learning. Mm-hmm. I think that fits with
0: you know my my experience on this podcast in interviewing uh, different women and having conversations with my co-host um, before she moved on. It was this whole mm-hmm. idea as well of women being really afraid of um, other people's opinions and mm-hmm. afraid of being themselves because of relational impact
1: it might have. Mm-hmm. I think that um, it's important for women for everyone to, to consider relations We don't live in an isolated world. We live in relationship with other people, whether it is a larger community, whether it is someone who lives under the same roof with us. And so that needs to be considered um, and not automatically said, this rules me, (laughs) this fact that I'm in relationship here. But it certainly needs to be respected and taken in consideration as, what is real in our spiritual discernment
0: mm-hmm. so with the willingness and going through and and looking at our fears I the next one that you talk about is attentiveness now I guess I should ask you a question is this like a linear process that you would like mm-hmm. if you were going through discernment you'd start with willingness or can you kind of leap in with any of the three areas we're going to look at hmm
1: I think that starting with willingness is good, uh, but that doesn't mean you've done it and you don't have to pay any more attention to it. Uh, I see it more like beginning with willingness, and then, um, as in a braid, where you weave the strains, the the strands, the same strands again and again are held in your hand. Uh, you come back to willingness and attentiveness. You may even take a step, and that would be in your responsive section of my metaphor here, and then go back to, I need to pay more attention now. Mm-hmm. What is the result of this step? Um, I need to open myself and be uh, revisit my willingness. So I see them as braided together not a linear process oh that's helpful I, I like that um that rings
0: true with my experience as well mm-hmm. so yeah. attentiveness Attent- can, can you talk a little bit to about attentiveness
1: uh for many people attentiveness really is the heart of it um you're of spiritual discernment the um the story I use, and I I don't remember whether I put it in my book or not, but I've got this lovely incident from my husband's life. Um, The way we have divided up our chores is that I'm willing to do the laundry and put it on the bed. And he needs to sort his socks because he has either black socks for his job or very dark blue socks. And they're hard to, tell apart sometimes so discernment is paying attention to what color his socks are Mm -hmm. and the discernment of color needs sunlight you can't tell his socks apart by electric light at 10 o'clock at night it really needs the morning sunlight which of course is my metaphor then for Um, the light that comes and gives us more light than we can see with our own eyes. But paying attention is the heart of spiritual discernment. It can be paying attention and acknowledging uh, as Richard Gore says someplace, uh, what is real. God pays attention to what is real he says. It is also doing what I call spiritual discernment homework. And those are the the little steps perhaps to get more information or to try something out. My one daughter uh, was moving into a different field of work, one that would um, be using more of herself, and she was able to do volunteer work at a center for a year to discover whether she liked being in the medical world at all. Mm-hmm. And so that was a small step, but it was also information gathering. It was her spiritual discernment homework. So attentiveness can be paying attention to who you are, as well as, uh, and that includes both your, your, um, your passions, your desires, it includes perhaps your dreams, it includes things such as um, what is my what is my life situation and what is the season of life that I'm in right now? And those things may seem that we we take them for granted, but sometimes they get ignored. I have a friend who is a um, She's a very passionate person. She's an activist. And she is discovering that she doesn't have quite the energy for the kind of passionate activism and social action that she did earlier in her life, a decade ago. But it's very hard for her to say, this is real. This is who I am now. I need to find another way to live out my passion. But... Attentiveness is the part of discernment that says this is what's true now. and that's that's her life situation. Sometimes I think paying attention is something as simple as as looking at your finances because that's that's real also. Um, I believe that God works with what is real in our lives that the the path that we find truest for us is a path that embraces what is what is real it doesn't encourage us sometimes it does encourage us sometimes to break out of that and to find new dimensions to our lives but it does it does first of all look and say all right this is what's real it's a very counterculture message. I just heard
0: something <laughs> yesterday that was, you know, it, almost exactly the opposite, which was, don't let your current reality limit or hold you back from doing what you want. You know, which mm-hmm. can get you in a lot of trouble, especially financially. You know, if you just decide to, and that, and that was exactly what it was talking about. Like, why? If you could do this and it was going to cost you $25,000, but you knew in doing it you would make 100000 in the next year, why wouldn't you spend the $25,000? And I was like, wow. that—that That is sort of a, a message, maybe not that blatant, that we hear in our culture, in culture all the time. Mm-hmm. So...
1: Um, yeah, I think it is a, a, a very simple message uh, because it doesn't take into consideration all of your life. And, you know, maybe the correct decision is to spend that $25,000. Mm-hmm. And and it's a right decision for you um, to take that risk, to take that. I mean, it, I guess they were assuming it's not a risk. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I think... I'm just really conscious in, in the attentiveness section of how we need to pay attention, to be aware of and include all that we are in our making making decisions, in our finding our way forwards. And that can include winding up taking some things that may seem like enormous risks, moving across the country to follow a new path entirely. And it can, but. But in the discernment to embrace all that we are, um, not limiting it to our, our desire or our passion, because that's not all that we are. an mm-hmm. important part, but it's not all.
0: Yeah, I really liked that when I read that in the book, the whole idea of you know all that we are now and thinking as I enter a new season of life, how... Often I've said exactly what you just mentioned about your activist friend, how I need more recovery time. And so I can kind of go flat out for three or four days. And now I need to build a day in where I just have rest in my life, which is very new to me. I didn't feel that way 10 years ago.
1: Well, that's good to yeah. recognize and accept that reality. Yeah, Yeah.
0: so it does impact decisions. And I, I really like that. In the past few years, I've been reading a lot of um, spiritual memoirs, and uh, especially of women who have come out of religious systems. I've been kind of interested in that process and that journey for women. And um, I'm reading one right now. Um, Called Leaving the Saints, about uh, Martha Beck's book about leaving the Mormon church. And in that book, and in every memoir I've read, there's always a section where they say, Looking back, I ignored the signs or the nudges that I was getting and continued down this path. In hindsight, they, you know, all of these women realize that there had been red flags, there had been nudges, there had been things that happened along the way that they chose to ignore. And you have a chapter in your book about nudges, and I I wanted to talk to you about your understanding of those in discernment and how we can get better at
1: paying attention to them. I think retreats, or at least some time set aside for reflection, can be helpful because we can sometimes keep ourselves busy on the path that we're on, kind of a momentum life, that does not uh, allow space for reflection, allow space for us to uh, say, yeah, this doesn't feel right. Something's going on here. Um, I am a person who keeps a journal, and I find that in my journal writing, I will reflect on things and go deeper into them and sometimes find truths about myself or my involvement or my my way of living that I wouldn't have found if I hadn't paused. I'm a great believer in the pause. <laughs> so, noticing nudges, I think we are more likely to notice them when we are... Um, have space around us and it's so hard
0: in our world I think to to do that like it, it takes a lot of intention and like I'm a big encourager of journaling and I, I try to journal regularly as well and I I agree that that does help us to start to even see themes and trends and habits and <laughs> those
1: kinds of repeated patterns in our lives yes i think that is true um i think there's also a something that comes out that helps us to be our more authentic selves when we are not necessarily journaling but having some space around us and and um not being filled up too much um I like the idea that authentic comes from the word original or, you know, coming from the creator, the one who created us, uh, the one who, as, as I mentioned, I think in my book, dreamed us into being, saying, hmm, this kind of person who is going to be growing here, I can dream of her being a unique kind of minister perhaps Um, so and and that's that is being authentic who we have been who we have within us to be and as we give ourselves space that can grow stronger yeah
0: so as we come into this with our willingness and our intentiveness The next area is responsiveness, and I think that this is an area that is really critical
1: in this three-strand metaphor. And uh, it is the one that shows. Um, You know, we can say, okay, my inner self is, is willing. I open, say yes, and then I'm paying attention to all these things. And perhaps I'm taking some small steps to, to try things or to learn more. But the place where it really shows is when we take the steps that look as though we've made a decision. Now, maybe the decision was a long time coming. And the, the people who are, <clears throat> excuse me, like the women who wrote memoirs who, who feel that they can look back and see signs in the past they weren't ready yet to really take the big steps of making changes. And so the decision itself may be a long time growing within us, but what happens is others can now see it. And it it shows on the outside. And that, I think, is the responsiveness stage where we really start to Find a different path. We start to take steps that uh, lead to other steps. Now, I also include in that section on responsiveness the possibility that we may come to clarity about what we are to do, how we are to to make a shift in our lives, and it's not time yet. I use the example of someone who who felt a real call to return to the mountains and be a, um, a nurse practitioner in a rather um, primitive area where there was a great need, Well, it's the area she grew up. And yet, so she trained for that, but she, even after she was done training, her children had two more years of high school, And she decided to wait and continue working in a big city hospital because the time wasn't quite right for those in relationship with her. And yet she knew where she was going to go. So during her waiting time, she took a few public health kinds of courses. She made trips to the area she was hoping to live. She was preparing herself for what was to come, but it hadn't actually been started yet. Does that make sense?
0: It makes a lot of sense to me. I think timing is a a part of responsiveness and uh, an important part because you talk a little bit about this in your book and I had a question about it and then I saw it in your book was around personality types as Mm -hmm. well in Mm decision-making and spiritual discernment. Because I think, like, I'm an ENFJ, so I'm very quick to make a decision. I like to have things made. Like, I I feel better once a decision's made. I would imagine for me, as I'm growing and learning and discernment, well, I don't imagine, I know, it's really important to pay attention to that part of me that wants to rush a decision and take action. And whereas other people... With different temperaments are feeling more stress when they make a decision. And I think timing comes out a lot in personality as well.
1: Yes, you're absolutely right. The, the, it's either the thinking, feeling, or sometimes people look at it as I can, I'm hesitating on the edge of a decision and a person hesitates for years and years or somebody is so uncomfortable on the edge that they they jump just to get off that uncomfortable edge. So, you know, not exactly impulsive, but it's just the discomfort with not being sure. Um, On the other hand, there's some people who get stuck in what I'd say the attentiveness stage and just want to find out more information and they say they're not quite ready yet. And so I think people can get perhaps... Stuck in any of those th- uh, strands that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Some people can get stuck and saying, "Well, I got to take more steps. I got to, I got to move and keep moving." And other people say, "I got to gain more information," and never get to the point of actually taking a step. And those are definitely uh, created uh, partly by personalities, inborn personalities, I think, and also about past experience has helped to shape you. Mm-hmm. I think
0: another part of this that I wanted to talk to you about that goes along with this um, timing and attentiveness is a desire to make the right decision and this feeling that sometimes we have that there's like a right and perfect path that, you know, God has this purpose for your life and this plan for your life and you have to find it and fall into it and... Um, and so when we're in a process, especially around anything uh, to do with career or uh, vocation, those types of things, we can get really stuck there.
1: hmm yeah. I have some, um, some real strong beliefs about the idea of one right path because I think that there isn't for Almost all our decisions, there is not one right path. Um, there are many ways that we can go. There are some paths that definitely are better fits for us, that fit us better. There are some paths that are definitely are more loving, more in harmony with the universe. There are some paths that are more closed and fear-filled. But my belief is that whichever path we choose, we can find a spirit on it and we can make choices along the path that will bring us to a place of of growing. Now, that doesn't mean we don't find things not turning out and we look back and say, oh, I never should have done that. But that is part of being a human being, I think, that we find, (laughs) you know, we find those when things don't turn out well. So I wound up with a, when I lead retreats, I have a section that is about uh, questions for things when things don't turn out well. And the word experience itself is from the Greek word tryout. So we have experiences, we try things out. And I think one of the questions that I ask people to reflect on when things don't turn out well is how am I living with this reality, this reality which isn't so great for me, uh, maybe it hurts other people, and how do I want to live with it? You know, I have to look right at what is, what is real again, what can be learned and how can I live in love through this experience? And then also, what is presently possible to change, either short-term or long-term? If it's a situation where you look at it and you say, uh-oh, I never, this was this was not right. Um, what is possible to change about it? And that, leads to a more discernment all along the way. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't agree that um, seeking out God's will is finding one narrow path, and all the rest are, oops, you're off the path now. Right. I think God and we create our path together as we grow more authentic, more deeply, truly who we, who we are.
0: Yes, and I think within that is um, also the idea that you can be on the right path and life will be hard.
1: Yes. Yeah. Certainly, you can be making the best choice you can and you still feel that this is where I I am most clearly to be. And there's a lot of other things that go on in life that can make it hard. A certain field of work can be hit economically and you lose your job. Uh, tragedies happen. People lose their lives. There can, well, as we know, there are many different ways in which there can be problems in our lives that have nothing to do with us making a choice that we should have made another choice. Mm-hmm. I also believe that that we need... A sense of being surrounded by others who care about us. We need a sense of uh, we're not just traveling a path all by ourselves, whether it's through friends or a community of people. Um, when things are hard, we know that we need other people with us.
0: I was also, I thinking about this idea of having other people with us and wondering about spiritual direction and do you think that people need to work with a spiritual director or because you are one and Mm -hmm. I think that it's a growing area that there's seems to be a lot more um, people training to be spiritual directors and I'm just wondering, you know, for people listening to this who are maybe in the middle of some decision-making, how helpful do you think it is to work with a spiritual
1: director? Well, you're asking a biased I person. I <laughs> know. <laughs> Two biased people here. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think working with a spiritual director can be very helpful, um, not because a spiritual director is going to direct you, But a spiritual director is like a companion on your journey and a listener. And in listening to you you, and asking questions, you can find uh, truths within yourself that you didn't know. Uh, Someone described it to me one time as, I want to listen people into finding their way inside themselves so that they can hear themselves. Uh, So sometimes, I mean, this word spiritual director itself is one that is a very old term. I mean, it's over uh, 1,500 years old as as a, a category of listening, I think. But it is really not so much about directing as it is about listening. If you have people in your lives who can listen to you, uh, who will not try to uh, bias you like, you know, friends do because they want to protect you and encourage you, then perhaps a spiritual director isn't a necessary person for you. But if you want to have someone who can listen to you and encourage the, the depths within you, where there may be truths about hiding that you have not named, then I think a spiritual director is really um, a great gift. Yes, I
0: obviously I agree. I've been working with a spiritual director for seven <laughs> years, and I, I found that mm-hmm. you know he can um, see things. And because we've talked for so many years now, he also can bring me back to something that happened
1: a few years before and remind me of it. Um, Can I just say one thing for people who may not be familiar with a spiritual director? It is not the same as being a counselor or a therapist. It is not necessarily Mm -hmm. problem-focused. Sometimes spiritual directors do meet weekly, but more often it is three or four weeks. And you're just reflecting on your life together. Um, So it's not necessarily, okay, problem focused, and then we're going to stop meeting after we take care of this problem. It's an ongoing relationship.
0: Yeah, I think that's a a good thing to point out, because it's not the same as coaching either, because it's not about Mm -hmm. taking action necessarily, like what you are going to do and sometimes for me the most powerful times i meet monthly with my spiritual director are the times when i go there thinking i really don't have much to talk about you know and i think (laughs) Mm -hmm. i don't even know why i'm going because really nothing's going on and then something very profound comes up in the conversation um with my spiritual director i i remember saying to him recently that I wasn't sure if I was hearing something from God or if I was hearing it from myself. And he, he kind of looked at me and he was like, well, does it matter? <laughs> <laughs> and right, I, it was, and that was one of those moments when I kind of went away and thought, like, why does that matter? Like, why is hearing from myself, Like, why do I differentiate between those things? Like, it can't be the divine in me, like speaking, or that there's like this separation. And I, as I thought about it, I was thinking a little bit about this thing where we rely on experts, maybe God's Mm -hmm. just another expert in our life, and how, (laughs) you know, we're just so used to going to the internet and searching things for answers all the time, how, how that may affect our ability to listen to
1: ourselves. And
0: I I just wondered if you have any thoughts on
1: that. That's a fascinating idea that um, God is just another expert. I I am more likely to think of finding that of truth within me. Um, In the Quaker tradition, we talk about um, that of God within each person, or the inner light, and and God is certainly a transcendent understanding. Of, we understand God is transcendent also, but that that sense that if we go deep enough inside ourselves and listen, we can we can find that truth which is of God, and it is coming from ourselves. So it's a kind of a both and. I don't have any problem with. I'd be like your spiritual director. Does it matter?
0: Yeah. So mm-hmm. I, I feel like we could just talk more and more about discernment. And I'm just looking over my list of questions. And there's two more things that I wanted to touch on with you. One is the idea of signs for mm-hmm. confirmation. And the other one is how our dreams might play into discernment. So let, let's just start with signs in your book, you talked about how you had this desire to write a book and then you received a call from a publisher about a month later. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, is that a sign to you or a confirmation and how, how often are, you know, a synergy? I don't know. I
1: just was curious. your thinking around that. Yeah, I, Uh, That was a very powerful experience. Um, I had made use of a spiritual direction practice, which I asked other people to do, and I'd never done it myself. And basically, it was just after a significant birthday. I was considering, okay, the rest of my life, big time, you know. Mm -hmm. And I said, uh, the exercise was to imagine yourself at the end of your life. And you are very conscious, but you know that you are dying. And the question that I looked at was, are there any things that I would want to say to people to bring closure to relationships? As well as, what do you regret never having done? And the powerful piece for me was that I immediately came up with, write something. And I knew it, and you know, it, it rang true. It was like one of those truths that was it within me that I hadn't given myself space to uh, come out and breathe. I've written poems, I've written short articles, but I've never written anything substantial. So I decided, okay, Nancy, this is it. You are supposed to do some major writing here. And it, it felt like a... Um, That answer was a sign in itself, that that rose in me. And then, about a month later, I got a phone call from a publisher looking to publish something on spiritual discernment. The person didn't know anything about me, except that I'd led a lot of retreats on this subject. And the question that I was asked was, have you ever thought about doing any writing? Now, that was a sign also. Mm -hmm. I do think that that there are potentials for those kinds of synchronicities, for mysterious ways that things happen, that sometimes we are either not open to them or our lives are too busy, and we aren't paying attention, or perhaps the events of our world are such that we can't take them up. Um, I think they... I think it is real. I also don't think that they would have to happen for it to be a truly guided path for someone to take. Uh, If you hold back from doing anything until you get a major sign, you may be waiting a long time. And what
0: about this dream topic? You touch on it a bit in your book, and I think it's uh, an important... um, and helpful way in this whole process of discernment. I'm not sure it's one that a lot of people really know how to pay attention to their dreams, so I just, I don't know if there was anything you could just talk about in that area with dreams and discernment.
1: Yeah, dreams often come mysteriously, and we can't always interpret what it means. You know, they seem to have their own language. Sometimes when we're going through major shifts or life transitions, we remember our dreams more, and they may be significant. I think dreams are worth paying attention to, to, to see what truth might be in them that might speak to us. I don't think they, they necessarily can be easily said, oh, I dream this, that means I'm supposed to go and live this life. Um however i think it can be a real a real aid to our discernment if we pay attention to dreams and even keep a dream journal if there's a time in life when when we have we notice we're having a lot of dreams and remembering them i also think dreams that we have when we're awake not actually asleep can be important to pay attention to, what have you always dreamed of? Mm, so, sort of
0: those daydreams, kind of things that your mind drifts to.
1: Yes, yeah. What truth is in that for you? And it may be that the dream is, oh, I wish I could live a quieter life, and you dream of being on the on the shore of a lake somewhere or something like that, and maybe you can't live that life living in a cottage on the shore of a lake, but how can you build something of that into your life? There can be a piece of that dream that you can live, even if you can't live the whole daydream. So
0: I think there's a lot for all of us to think about from this conversation we've had, Nancy. There's so much more in your book and i'll be putting a link to that in my show notes and is there a way um your your website i'll put that in the show notes but is there like a place that you spend time online like social media facebook twitter instagram Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. yeah no i'm i'm i don't really connect with people openly there i have um however i'm very glad to have people Contact me through my website, okay. and I re- respond to everyone when they contact me. I'm, I'd be glad to open a conversation about coming and doing some face-to-face work and retreat leading, if people would like to do that. I also have done some spiritual direction um, through Skype, and that would be something I, I would be open to doing as well, okay. if people want to engage with that.
0: Great. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time today and for your work in this area. And as I've mentioned, I've found this book extremely helpful. And I'm, I'm just grateful that you took the time today to be with me.
1: It's been a pleasure, Sandy. I'm glad I was able to do this.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Reframe Your Life. If you enjoyed it, please leave me a review on iTunes and share it with a friend who might be interested in how they can develop in the area of decision-making and spiritual discernment. If you're not on my newsletter, visit sandyreynolds.com and sign up. I have a new program launching in October called Call of the Sacred. And in that program, we're going to go deep in some of these practices like boundaries, spiritual discernment, and how you can establish a vibrant and healthy spirituality. Thank you.